Time for the reading of the word. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things of God, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling himself to, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us to implore you on Christ's behalf to recon be reconciled to God. May the Lord add his blessing as we hear our pastor's word this morning. A new creation. Ministers of reconciliation. Pleading. Be reconciled to God. Turn over to the book of Acts, if you would. Chapter 7. The book of Acts. Chapter 7. And we're going to look at a few verses, starting with verse 54. Acts chapter 7. Verse 54. It comes in the middle of the story of Stephen talking to, preaching to the leaders, and they were not very receptive as he was preaching so strongly that the Holy Spirit was convicting the hearts of the people, and they didn't like it. Notice verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he kneeled down, knelt down, and cried out with a loud voice, God, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was kind of an amazing Christian, wasn't he? 
he could preach with such conviction that the Holy Spirit could just bring it home to their hearts. And then when they rose up against him, he's looking into heaven. He's beholding Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. And he expressed it. And then they stoned him. And then he could still say, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. Who was he imitating there? Who was he being like? He's being like Jesus, wasn't he? Because even when Jesus was being executed, what did he cry out? Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is giving the people the benefit of the doubt. They didn't even realize what they were doing, that they were killing the Son of God. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And now Stephen, he's a new creation being made like Jesus. And he could pray, Father, forgive them for this. Forgive them. Was Stephen's prayer answered? Now, we're jumping ahead, though. Why did he pray, God, forgive them? Now, if you go through the Psalms, David didn't always pray, Father, forgive them for his, about his enemies. What did David pray sometimes? Well, Father, wipe them out. Go after my enemies. Kill them all. One place he says, take their name right out of the book of life. Basically, he was saying, may they all go straight to hell. Different than Stephen here. But Stephen here, he... He had the example of Jesus. He was following the example of Jesus. Now, David did too, sometimes too. But, but David sometimes prayed, Father, get after my enemies. Now, why did Jesus pray, Father, forgive them? Why did Jesus pray that? He wanted the atonement to reach even his executors. In other words, he wanted them to be saved. What did Stephen want for the people who were stoning him? He wanted them to be saved. So he says, Father, don't lay this sin against them because I want them to receive salvation somehow. Get through to them. Find a way. Did God find a way to get one of them? Who was it? It was Saul. Look at verse 1 of the next chapter. Verse 1, verse eight, uh, in chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time a great persecution arose and so on. So Saul was there. He was listening. And we don't have time to go through the whole story about Saul's conversion. But, but did the Lord reach Saul and turn him into who? Paul. Yes, that's right. So was it worth it for Stephen to die? Was it fair for Stephen to die? Did, did, did Stephen do something wrong? And so the Lord said, this isn't a very good disciple. I'm going to have to let him get killed off because we've got to find somebody better. Is that what it was? Stephen's death was part of the plan, a plan to reach Saul and maybe others too. We don't know how many others were in that group who later were influenced. And, and down through the ages, people read the story and so on. Stephen's death was worth it. Hmm. That's going to be something to consider. 
It impacted Saul, who became Paul, for his conversion and later his ministry, all the letters that he wrote, all the people who've been influenced by all the letters. Think about it. But what did it take? It took for Stephen a stoning. A stoning. Now, does God have a Saul in your life? Is there someone around you that God wants to make into a Paul? In other words, is there somebody God wants to reach with eternal life? And it's going to take suffering on your part for God to reach that person. Wow. Really? Could it be? Is God big enough to do that? Does he want to reach people around you? Around me? And then the next question is, does he have your permission to do it? Would you trust God in his application of suffering? Wow. Storion is the name we'll give to a man. We, we don't want to tell his name because even though it was years ago, uh, there are still influences in the world that could cause trouble. Storion, the name means strong, unmoved in the language of the people in this Eastern Bloc communist country from years ago. And in this, when communism came into this country after World War II, they rounded up the pastors and they put them in jail. Storian's father was a pastor. He was only a young teen at the time. They put his father in the local county jail first, where they kept him there for nine months, simply because he was a preacher of the gospel. And there was a a jailer in this, uh, a, what would you call him? Someone who worked in the prison there. A guard, there we go. And this particular guard just had a real bad attitude toward preachers. And so every morning, the one thing that, that the dad had for breakfast was some toast. And the guard put something terrible on the toast. I won't even describe what it was. It was so awful. And that's what he put and gave to Storian's father every day for the food. Day after day, day after day. At the end of the nine months, the government was ready to move uh, Storian's father as well as other people who were in the prison to uh, in the local jail to a prison out a ways away and they got word to historian's mother that she and the children would be allowed to come to a special place on the grounds there where they could visit with the father for one hour before he'd be taken away for his 10-year sentence And so they were there for sure. Storin was there, his mother, the younger children. 
and they waited at the fence for the hour to begin. When the hour began, the guards brought in the, the, the prisoners and sat them each at a table. And the families went. When they saw their loved one, they went out to the table where their loved one was. But there was one table empty because Dorian's father wasn't brought out. And so they waited. They waited and they waited until the hour was almost over. And then a different, a different um, prisoner came out carrying what looked like a bundle of rags in his arm. And he put that bundle of rags on the one empty table. And Storian's mother led the children over to that table. You could hardly tell it there was a human being in those rags. All they could see was those steel blue eyes that told them it was the father. Dorian went up to the table and he spoke to his dad. He said, Papa, I am so proud of you. The mother knew that the one thing her husband would want is a copy of the Bible. And she had brought the smallest Bible she could and she tried to secretly pass the Bible and put it under the father's head among those rags but a guard sold her saw her and went and told the commander and he came over and he took that bible and he threw it on the ground and he said what is the matter with you woman don't you realize that that book is the reason your husband is here in this jail and he's in this condition don't you realize it don't you realize that I could kill him right now, right on the spot, and I could kill you and your children, and I would be honored for it. The historian's mother stood tall, and she looked right up at the commander. She said, yes, I know you could kill my husband. I know you could kill me. I understand you could kill my children. But there's nothing you can do to separate us from the love of Christ. And inside, Storian was thinking he was never so proud of his mama. So they took Storian's dad off to prison. And they told the parents, they told his mother, that she and the children were being sent off to a distant gypsy village on the other side of the country. A place where they had never been to. They didn't know about. And as their family was on the train going off to this unknown place, the little children said, Mama, Papa won't know where we are. Who's going to take care of us? Mama said, We're just going to have to trust God to take care of us. Before they got to their destination, she was approached by a stranger on the train. Not a soldier, not an authority figure, just a stranger, a, a man she had never met before. 
And he came up quietly and he stood and he talked to her and he said, are you the family of Pastor so-and-so? And she, he mentioned the name of her husband who's being imprisoned and sent off to jail and you folks are being sent here to, to an unknown place, a place you don't know before. He said, are you the family? She said, yes, I am. She was surprised. She didn't know anything about this gentleman. He said, well, I, am, I belong to a Christian church right in this area. Coming on this train and that you would need some help. And I was the one selected to come and meet you on the train and to accompany you to your home so that you would know that God is watching over you. And then he took and tried to very secretly hand over to her a bag with money in it. He said, we were impressed to take up an offering because you would need some money to survive in the place where you're going. This is enough for some months. And when you run out of it, I'll be back again and we'll have more for you. And so every few months, the Lord kept sending money and the family was able to survive. Later, they were able to go home. But for some years, they had to be out there, almost like in prison themselves. Well, Storian was growing up. And now he went into his teen years and in high school. He had to have an identification card. And he had to report to the local police twice a day so they would know his whereabouts at all times. Because on his ID, it read, it read, enemy of the state. He was allowed to enter the university, but because he was an enemy of the state, he was not allowed to graduate. And then he was forced into the army. Well, many, many young men were. But in the army, he was not allowed to do any, any kind of real uh, work that had, that had any responsibility or any, any uh, niceness to it, you know, anything of a privileged nature. Everything was just menial work the whole time he's in the army. And so that's the way he's growing up without his father. And with that. But he was praying for his dad. Now his father was in the prison there. And as it came close to the end of his time, the guards made one final attempt to break him. And so they marched him out of the regular barracks, out to where there was a post. Because you see, this was the place of execution where the firing squad would do its work. And they last chance deny your faith in Christ or be killed and they lined up and he said I will not deny my faith in Christ and apparently those soldiers they were very angry about this apparently they didn't have the authority to do what they were threatening to do Instead, they marched him over to the gate of the prison and they literally threw him out.
back home somehow. He didn't find his family in the home, but he went to the church where he used to preach. And there was his family at the front of the church praying for him. And they were united. And soon he was preaching the gospel again. Now, Storian, as I say, he couldn't finish uh, the university and get a job that you, you know, normally get, like a teacher or doctor or something. But he was able to get work in a foundry. It was hard work. I'm with the heat of working with all the metals and everything. It was not a really great place to work, but at least he could survive. He was able to get his own apartment and so on. But the thing he really wanted was to become a pastor like his father. Now, there were no Christian colleges there in that country, and he couldn't leave the country. And there were no seminaries or anything, but he found a way to take a correspondence course in the Bible, and he found a way to get a Bible, and so he began to study, and he began to prepare sermons. He didn't have a church to preach to, but he began to prepare his sermons. And then one day the secret police came and they barged in and they rummaged through his whole place and they found his materials, all the lessons they took, all the sermons they took, all of his books they took. He had nothing. And so he started again. He started all over again, sending away for more lessons, different classes now, so he could learn more. And it took several years but finally he graduated through those correspondence classes and became a pastor. Now, pastors were not allowed. There was a, just a little more freedom so they, they, they could operate a little bit secretly without getting too much persecution. But he was fired from his foundry job. Now he had to rely on the goodness of the people who were under his care. Through the years, he was able to acquire two illegal Bibles because Bibles weren't allowed. And they were in the language of the people there. And so he shared them. And he got, a, he got an idea. What if I had a way with the Lord guiding and directing where I could get other Bibles in the language of the people and share more with more people. And his home ended becoming a center for smuggling the body. Also, he saw that not every Christian book was translated into his language. So he began, he had learned English, so he began to get other books by Eng authors in English like Billy Graham and other people that we would that we would know and he began translating he ended up translating over 20 Christian books into the language of his people and distributing thousands of books and bibles all over the, the communist part of Europe God used him now, the Secret Service suspected something was going on, and so they came and arrested him. But they couldn't catch him with any of the materials. And so, instead of spending years in prison like his father, 
he only spent some months and they had to release him. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 9 a minute and read just a few verses there. Chapter 9, we see the story of Saul's experience here. The Saul who became Paul in chapter 9, starting with verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Jerusalem, providing, I'm sorry, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. That was a close call, wasn't it? And there were close calls for Storium. One day, he was coming back. He'd, he'd filled his car with Christian literature that he had smuggled in. And he was on his way home, and he stopped to share some things with people. And at one place, they said, don't go home. The authorities are at your home waiting for you. And so he and his wife decided they parked the car in a deep, uh, a dense part of the forest. And she stayed in the car overnight and he walked home and the authorities didn't catch him with anything. There. Another time, the authorities came and came into his house to search his house. And the commander sat down on a, on a place with a package of that was all wrapped up in brown, plain brown paper. And he sat down on it and he directed the search all through the house, looking and looking for Bibles or other materials for hours, not knowing he was sitting on a stack of Bibles. And they never found them. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? You see... God can do amazing things if we'll, if we'll partner with him, if we'll surrender to his plans. What is your life like? What is it all about? Do you have any adventure in your life? Is your greatest adventure watching some fan fantasy type movie or reading a mystery book or... or uh, dreaming about jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, hopefully with a parachute, <laughs> or, or driving your car as fast as you can. Does God have an adventure for you? Now, you and I, we're not going to go over to some place probably and smuggle books into a country or translate things. But is there a neighbor, a co-worker that God can speak to them through our lives? through some little thing that we don't even know we're doing, but the Holy Spirit is impressing us to do it. And we start to see a chain of events and connection. Are we willing for God to put us in the right place at the right time for the right person and give us the right words and even the right expressions on our faces? and the right motives in our hearts. That adventures can start happening in our lives that can make a difference for eternity. 
We have a wonderful God, don't we? And he'll do wonderful things for us. Now, can we even trust him with the tool of suffering? That's something for us to think about and to talk to him about. Because I believe that if we trust him with the tool of suffering, he'll be more careful than a surgeon with a scalpel. Have you ever trusted a surgeon? I have. He'll be more careful than that surgeon with where he applies it in your life. And he'll do better things than a surgeon could ever think of doing. Let's pray. Or Father, what a God you are. What a God you are. We know that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the bone and the marrow, and that you use it to reach our hearts and you put it in our hands to help others. May the grace that's spoken in the Bible, may your love and kindness, may all the beautiful character qualities that you have that the Bible puts out uh, reveals to us so clearly may they reach our own hearts and overflow to others and work in our lives even with difficulties where you see they're absolutely needed to help somebody else do your miraculous work your redemptive work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our benediction is from Ephesians chapter 3. Glory be to him whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory be to him from generation to generation in the church, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.